On this episode of the Backseat Coach Podcast, we'll be recapping week zero of college football. Nebraska fans let down once again. We're going to go over some headlines around the sports world as well. We're going to wrap up with the NFL playoff picture. My predictions of the NFC, the AFC, who I think is making the Super Bowl, who I think is winning MVP, Offensive Rookie of the Year, all the season awards, season playoff predictions, all coming in this episode. But first, I'm going to mention the sponsors of this episode. We have Run Your Pool, Thrive Fantasy, and Chalkboard. We will hear more about them later. Let's dive into today's episode. Reminder, as always, no matter what platform you're listening to this or watching it on, in the description of this episode, you will find timestamps for any certain topic if you want to jump around and go to a certain segment right off the bat. So those are always there for your convenience. Before we head into recapping week zero, which I guess, you know what, I will say it was a very good week. A lot of people are going to say, oh, it was boring, there's blowouts, but a lot of teams that I was predicting to do one thing did the other. I mean, obviously, if you listen to this or watch me on TikTok, I went one and four in my best best last week. But it's week zero. It literally doesn't matter. It's not even a real week. Week one is when things matter, okay? But before we hop in, let's talk about some news stories around the sports world. Washington Commanders running back was released from the hospital. Brian Robinson, he was released from the hospital today after being shot twice in the leg during the attempted carjacking Sunday. And I'm recording this on Monday. So two days later, two bullets to the leg. He's already released, which is crazy, but so thankful that he's healed from that. It wasn't much more severe. Um, Coach Ron Rivera did say in a press conference today it is possible for Brian Robinson to play football later this year. But obviously, first and foremost, it's great news that he escaped a really terrifying situation. When that news broke, it was one of those things where, you know, you get that ESPN notification, you have to double take. You're like, what? You're just going about your Saturday, and it's like Washington rookie running back Brian Robinson has been shot multiple times in a carjacking. You're like, what is going on? But he's okay. He's released from the hospital. We'll see if he plays football again this year. looks like Antonio Gibson, as much as the Washington Commanders don't want to, he's going to have to be the RB1 there. But let's move on to a worse story, which is kind of disturbing to say there's a worse story in the NFL than a double, like a two bullets to someone's leg. But the Buffalo Bills released their punter, Matt Arise, after allegations and lawsuits have come forward alleging the sexual assault and rape. I'm sure you heard of it by now from his time as a college student at San Diego State with the minor. Things are coming out now with some conspiracies. Like, did Buffalo know this when they drafted him? There's another punter taken ahead of him when he, Matt Arise was supposed to be the punk god, the best punter, the strongest leg there's ever been. So why would a punter be drafted over him unless they knew something? The conspiracies are coming out of the woodworks. I'm not going to touch those. I'm just going to say first and foremost, I'm just happy the Buffalo Bills are at least being proactive here. Um, nothing's been like decided in court. There's been no punishments handed down from the legal system, but they saw the allegations. They have done their own investigations, I'm sure, and there's enough there that they said, you know what, we don't want this guy on our team. He doesn't represent what the Buffalo Bills are for. Get him out of the league. Get him off our team. So at least they were proactive there. Would have liked to see a little more from Cleveland Browns with Deshaun Watson. I'm not saying these two cases are comparable at all, but I feel like there was no proaction from the Cleveland Browns organization, from Kevin Savansky, from the general management whatsoever. Whereas the Buffalo Bills, well, yes, I know there's those conspiracy theories. Did they know what the draft did? Did they not? I'm sure we'll figure that out more as time goes on. But at least they're being proactive now, and I'm thankful for that at least. Moving out of the sport or the football world, though, the U.S. Open started today. First round starts today, and if you've been following my TikTok, you know I'm a new tennis fan. Ever since Wimbledon, I've just been locked in on tennis. I knew, I knew nothing about it. I had some coworkers who love tennis, so I was like, hey, who are just some guys who are competitors? And they told me just some names. You know, Novak Djokovic, obviously. I knew the big ones, Djokovic, Federer. Um, but who, who's kind of like a, a, a tier two? And they were telling me, you know, Matteo Bertani, Taylor Fritz, um, Stefano Sitsipas, Kyrgios. And I decided before even looking at any of their faces, I was like, Stefano Sitsipas is my guy. 
Then I watched his match against Kyrios and realized that him and Kyrios are just complete crybabies, which is honestly a little entertaining, especially Kyrios, because his complaining is a little more comical because he's just such a rage monster. Um, but Tsitsipas is not a guy that, after watching him, I can stand by. Mateo Baratene is my ride or die. But the reason I'm recording this late tonight, which doesn't matter for you because I'm uploading on Tuesday morning, but I'm recording this later than normal on a Monday night because I was watching Taylor Fritz lose to Brandon Holt, which major upset. And Taylor Fritz, I literally saw an interview of him this morning that said, like, because he's been so snake bitten, he's always had such high expectations going into majors, going into tennis events. And people were saying, like, this is out, you're on your home court, literally, you're in America. Wimbledon didn't go your way. All these other majors didn't go in your way. This is the time to kind of get the yips, get the yips out and, and play some great competitive tennis that we're used to seeing with Taylor Fritz, just a, a young, promising American. Didn't happen. Um, yeah, he lost in four sets in, round, in the first round of the U.S. Open in a real shocking event. Um, before I quick record, Serena Williams was playing in a feature match as well. I don't know how her match is going, but it looked like she was going to hold on for the win. But, yeah, Taylor Fritz eliminated from the U.S. Open. Uh, my boy Matteo Berrettini won in three sets, but you know we'll leave it at that. So bad day for the Americans. Next up, Jim Harbaugh. Let's talk about college football. They didn't play last week, but they did make some headlines because Jim Harbaugh is still trying to figure out Michigan's quarterback situation, and it doesn't sound like that situation will be decided until probably halfway through the season. Week one, he has announced that the starter against Colorado State is going to be Cade McNamara, and then week two against Hawaii. J.J. McCarthy will be starting, so both quarterbacks are getting the chance to shine as a starter for Michigan in their non-conference schedule. I think Michigan is going to be very in a very similar boat to the Iowa Hawkeyes, where they have a, their QB battle going on between Padilla and oh, what's the name of the other guy again? It's, it's escaped me. Padilla and whatever. That was Petrus. Spencer Petrus and Alex Padilla are fighting for the Iowa quarterback starting job. So I think it's going to happen for the same same way for both teams that they're going to be flip flopping. I don't love that approach. That's what Texas did last year. And look what happened to them at five and seven. They were jumping back and forth between um, Casey Thompson, who we'll talk about in a second because he's on Nebraska, um, as well as Carson. Carson, God, man. See, this is what happens when I stay up late watching tennis. What's that name? Carson, Texas quarterback. Fact checking time. Texas QB. Hudson Card. I don't know where the Carson. I guess Card and Son. Hudson Card. Whatever. Good enough. We're gonna move on. Jim Harbaugh doesn't know whose quarterback's gonna be. Michigan's defense will be strong enough for it to be okay. I think it'll be the same situation for Iowa in terms of their defense will be good, be good enough for them to be okay. But both those teams were in the Big Ten championship last year. I don't see them getting back to it if they're not gonna have a consistent quarterback play as a starter that they can ride with. Be real interested to see how that pans out. I personally lean towards more more towards JJ McCarthy, but we'll have to see how they do against Colorado State and Hawaii. Now let's talk about week zero, the week where I went one and four in my college betting. Before we get there, I want to talk about run your pool specifically because week zero is not included in my college football pick and pool. So if you want to compete against me, which is going to be good for you because I went one and four in week zero. So the odds of you winning this jersey are pretty high. Or you could, you know, maybe I got the losses out of the way and I'm going to turn around week one. But anyways, my pick and pool starts week one. The winner of it is going to get a jersey of their choice, any sport, you name it. Here's the ad read. Do you think that you're better than your friends at picking the winners every NFL Sunday? With pick and pools, fantasy pools, survivor pools, squares, and more, Run Your Pool is the premier place to run your online sports pool to see who is the best in your friend group, family, or best in the office at picking winners each and every week. Right now, I'm hosting an NFL and college football pick and pool, as well as an NFL survivor pool on Run Your Pool, which are all 100% free to join. That's right. No cost to you. And the winner of each pool is going to receive a custom jersey of their choice, all three pools will have a different winner. Well, I mean, unless somehow you're you're a pick god and you join them all and win them all, but you'll get three jerseys at that point. 
Um, if you're watching this on YouTube, go to the links in the description. But also, I just realized how to make descriptions on Spotify. So if you're watching this or listening to this anywhere, go to the links in the description and join my pool. Completely free to join. Have a chance to win the jersey. I really look forward to competing with y'all. I mean, I went one and four in week zero. Week zero. Let's get into it because I really am not a Nebraska fan. Um, if I had to stack rank all the Big Ten teams, Minnesota's down there at number 14 in terms of how much I enjoy them, which isn't like an out of a Minnesota hate thing. It's out of um, Wisconsin Badgers. Like, what do you expect? It's kind of like Michigan or Ohio State. You can't really like the other at all if you go to one. So Minnesota's at the bottom of the list. Right at number 13 is probably Nebraska for me. I just... They're they're like the Texas of the Big Ten where people kind of just relive the glory days. They always talk about, oh, we used to be so good. We have so much more historical wins than you. Like, we have so many more historical conference wins, but they haven't really been relevant since uh, the 90s and the early 2000s. Looked like they were turning a leaf this year. Once again, Nebraska hype was high. Scott Frost is in his prove it, prove it, prove it year because he's been given so many second, third, fourth, fifth chances. And he blew it. He blew it. He completely blew it. I was a Texas fan last year. I really enjoyed watching Casey Thompson on the Texas Longhorns. And I was really excited for him in the first half of this game. I was like, okay, he found a home. I was texting my buddies. I was like, Casey Thompson, he's here. He's making his claim. Casey Thompson played amazing. His quarterback rating, if you look at it, 65.9. Don't pay any attention to that. Those two, t- two interceptions really brought him down. He went 25 for 42. He probably had about five passes that went off receiver's hand. So realistically, he should have had 30 completions. But two, both of the interceptions... First one was right through a receiver's hand. Second one tipped right off a receiver's hand. So neither of them were his fault. It's just sad to see because it's very similar what's going on with Casey Thompson in Nebraska is what happened to him at Texas last year. Where he actually plays very good. Casey Thompson led the nation in five touchdown passing games last year. But the rest of his team just lets him down. In Texas, it was his defense. In Nebraska, the defense didn't play great, but they weren't Texas-level bad. But where they really let them down is just really down the stretch they couldn't stop the run but ultimately his receivers just couldn't catch anything the running game never really got off the ground except for that one big 46 yard burst by anthony grant let's talk about northwestern though because while nebraska did shoot themselves in the foot repeatedly with two interceptions a fumble call that the refs did not help out with i the announcers everyone seemed to think that the ball would the call would have been overturned the ball would save nebraska but it was given to northwestern so aside from the two interceptions that were bounced off receivers hands blown turnover call by the ref an idiotic, boneheaded Fred Flintstone call of an onside kick when you're up by double digits by Scott Frost. And, I mean, I he's quick side rant by Scott Frost. You're setting your, your coaching staff up to fail. Your special teams, Nebraska special teams, that was your worst thing last year. Everyone talked about the defense that held them in games. The defense did great. Their offense didn't really produce on the stretch, but they still did competently. Their special teams was absolutely abysmal last season, so they hired a new special teams coordinator. Calling that onside kick, sure, maybe your special teams coordinator asked for it, but you're the head coach. You have to take accountability. You have to green light it, and I'd imagine you might have even called that one as head coach. You're setting your special teams coordinator up to fail. You're setting the people around you up to fail. This is not the signs of a good leader. But again, we're done with Nebraska here. We're going to Northwestern because Ryan Holinsky did play solid. Um, He got an 86.7 QBR, two touchdowns, no picks, 27 for 38, 314 yards, all good stats. I will say one caveat is I was watching the entire game, and Especially in the first half, he did settle in, but Holinsky in the first half threw a lot of passes that were very questionable, um, meaning that behind the receivers, where the receiver made an adjustment, really high in the air, the Northwestern receivers had to use all of the, the inches that their vertical jump has. Uh, threw some dangerous passes overall, but none of them ended up biting Northwestern. That's why they're 1-0 right now. Rushing, going to toot the horn of my alma mater of my high school, Maple Grove. Evan Hull, 22 carries, 119 yards, 5.4 average yards per carry, a touchdown, and a 21-yard burst for a touchdown as well. And he was crucial in that final drive when they had a chew clock and really just get a couple first downs on the ground. 
I think they went 12 straight running plays that close out that game. Absolutely ridiculous that Nebraska couldn't stop them. But, I mean, hey, Northwestern, the question here now is, are they better than we thought? Are they going to be competitive in the Big Ten? And what I'm going to say, after seeing three teams in the Big Ten West, and we'll talk about Illinois a little later, we saw three teams in the Big Ten West play in Week 0. Nebraska, Northwestern, Illinois. Going into the season, of the Big Ten West, are seven teams. Obviously, number seven I had is Illinois. Number six I had is Northwestern. Number five I had is Nebraska. To be completely honest, I'm keeping those the same right now. I think Northwestern's a better team than Illinois. They play, I think, the last week of the season, which is when we'll really determine who's a better team. They're in the battle for Illinois. I think Nebraska bounces back. I think they'll be fine. They did to me. Again, remember, I hate Nebraska. I'm not a Nebraska fan, so I'm not being biased for saying this. To me, Nebraska did look like the better team in this game. I think they're going to bounce back, get some more wins. I don't think they're going to have a great season, but I don't think this is going to be the the be-all, end-all of their year. I'm still, after week zero, having five Nebraska, six Northwestern, seven Illinois, but none of those teams are in the top five or four of the Big Ten West, and that was just completely solidified. Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, Purdue are just way above these three teams. But I don't want to make it sound like I'm hating on Northwestern. Evan Hall, loved watching you run. Absolutely incredible. Hopefully one day we can get him on this podcast, use my you know high school connections there. But Ryan Holinsky looked very competent throwing the ball, and Northwestern has a lot to build on here. Their defense needed to be stronger because ultimately they did, or I'm going to say they didn't force two turnovers or three turnovers. Even they had a fumble and two, two interceptions, but both of those were, you know, a little there was there was luck involved. I mean, as a Northwestern fan, there's nothing wrong with that. Sports luck happens all the time. Things roll your way, things don't roll your way. But when it happens, you kind of got to acknowledge like, hey, we got a pretty lucky there. Like the Rams in the NFC Championship against the Saints when the ref didn't call that pass interference call. Okay, I'm done. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> That's that, That'll just trigger me too much. But anyways, we'll move on from this game. Northwestern, great job getting that win in Dublin. Must have been such a fun atmosphere and obviously a lot sweeter when you're able to get a win over there when you're playing an international game on such a national stage like that, or international stage, I guess. And for Nebraska, it, you got to try to bounce back. Uh, it's not going to get easier for you. You still have that Big Ten West schedule. You still have crossover against the Big Ten East. You have to play Oklahoma coming up soon. Scott Frost, in my opinion, should be fired. I think it should be before the end of the season, too. I think Mark Whipple's offense looked very solid. He looked great as Pittsburgh's offensive coordinator. I think Mark Whipple should be the guy to take over for Nebraska with the midseason coaching change. Then maybe last year or next year, you give him an interim role, let him be Nebraska's quarterback if you don't want, or coach if you don't want to hire a new coach. But I don't think Scott Frost needs to be there. I think he should have been fired last year. Uh, and I wouldn't blame them if he was fired after week one, but I don't think it will be that brash here. They've fired coaches in Nebraska for a lot less offenses than Scott Frost has had, so. It's only a matter of time. The time's ticking for Scott Ross right now. Just want to quickly mention UConn versus Utah State. UConn was uh, one of the worst teams, if not, I mean, some people could call them the worst team, and I wouldn't argue from last season, but they were up 14-0 against Utah State, who's not, not expected to be good this year, but I don't think they were expected to be losing to UConn by double digits bad. But once UConn scored that 14, they went scoreless in the second, scoreless in the third, scored six in the fourth, but it wasn't enough. Utah State pulls away, wins 31-20. to UConn covered the spread, but I know those Huskies players – and the fans, friends, and family were definitely hoping that maybe this is a sign of a different year. They're favored to lose by a lot, and they pull, pull off a big win week one. Things kind of came crumbling crumbling down. So it'll be interesting to see if UConn kind of keeps sliding down towards the bottom of the 131 FPS teams in terms of overall rankings. But as as pre, preluded earlier when I signed with the Big Ten West, let's jump into Illinois now. Um, they just played a very complete game against Wyoming. Wyoming, I completely underestimated them. And to be fair, I'm just going to be blunt with you guys. I studied the Power Five and the independents. You could say like Notre Dame, BYU, all the all those independents, UMass, UConn. I studied Power Five and the American Athletic Conference, maybe for a six. But other than that, I really don't study these teams too much. And I thought last season, I didn't think Wyoming was the worst team. I didn't follow their offseason enough. I didn't realize that they were literally like on Twitter begging for people to come to their school because they needed football players. 
So I very much underestimated the situation at Wyoming. They were undermanned, completely outmatched in this game against Illinois, which is saying something if you're completely outmatched against a, a low-tier Power 5 team. But their quarterback threw five completions out of 20 passes, and those five completions went for 30 yards. He also had an interception. That's a 16.2 QBR if you keep track at home. Andrew Peasley, not a good day at the office, but you weren't really set up in a position to succeed. Rushing the ball as well, they had some decent rushers, but the problem is that this game got away from them so fast, and Illinois just kept scoring without Wyoming being able to counterpunch that they really just couldn't run the ball too much. But I mean, their running backs, they had Swen, who was 5.8 yards per carry. Peasley, the quarterback, ran the ball pretty well, 9.5 yards per carry. Uh, a couple of big rushes off in there, but yeah, ultimately the passing game was abysmal. Illinois' defense was swarming. They were fast, and offensively, their passing game was fine, 27 for 37 for 194 yards. They were kind of just dinking, dunking their way around the field. But the big the big story is their rushing game, which looked great. Their offensive line looked great, which is going to be crucial for Big Ten play coming up. But Chase Brown, 19 carries, 151 yards, two touchdowns. Reggie Love the third, three carries, 46 yards, and a touchdown. Illinois' rush, rushing attack looked absolutely incredible. Passing game, again, they did what they needed to do. It didn't show us really anything in terms of what their quarterback, uh, Tommy DeVito, is going to look like this year, just simply because all he had to do is dink and dunk his way around the field, um, and, which is evident by his QBR. If you're a QBR fan, he had a 45 QBR, even though he had no picks and went 27 for 37, which sounds good. But it was it was really just, you know, screen plays, check downs, just re- real short passes. But the rushing game looked great. Illinois after a great start to their season. And, hey, the top two teams in the Big Ten are – both residing in Illinois now with Illinois and Northwestern. Let's talk about Duquesne and Florida State a bit. So it's the Duquesne Dukes, and it's Florida State Seminoles. This should be a blowout. But Florida State didn't cover the spread, and I just think that's a matter of, like, not that Duquesne was strong or Florida State was bad. I think it was just a matter of when you have these spreads of Florida State was favored to win by 42, they won by 40, you get to 47-7. to it's just when when they get so high and it gets towards the end of the game, teams are going to be motivated to put up another touchdown when there's two minutes left and you're already up 40. And I think it was more of that because Florida State jumped out to 26 points real quick. They got 14 more in the third quarter, and at that point, the game was dead and gone. Duquesne didn't even score in the first half. I just think they just let their foot off the gas pedal, which there's nothing wrong with that, but very similar offensively to, to Illinois, except even maybe more on the extreme side in terms of their passing game didn't show us anything exciting. Jordan Travis went 11 for 15 for 207 yards. Um, and I don't think that's really a sign of the times for Florida State as a program. I don't think it's saying they're going to be a rushing team because, because listen to this. Rashawn Ward, 14 carries, 127 yards, two touchdowns. Trey Benson, 11 carries, 105 yards, touchdown. Lawrence Toifoli, 13 carries, 101 yards, one touchdown. Rodney Hill, 9 carries, 55 yards, one touchdown. Jordan Travis, 4 carries, 11 yards, one touchdown. That's 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 touchdowns total rushing the ball or 406 yards for Florida State. And I'm not saying that's a sign of the times for Jordan T- Travis as quarterback, meaning they're going to be more of a rushing offense. I think that's purely when you are a strong, in terms of brand name, strong Florida State, strong Power 5 program going up against the Duquesne Dukes. The biggest disparity is going to be in the trenches, and I'd imagine just their offensive line was so outmatched against their defensive line that they were just able to play bully ball up and down the field. And there was no need to really throw the ball around too much. They just said, you know, we're just going to ground it and pound it and win by 40 and call it a day and get ready for week one, which Florida State did. No harm, no foul. Great game by the Seminoles. A team that wasn't so great, they got the job done, but it didn't look so pretty, it was North Carolina against Florida A&M. So Florida A&M, much like Wyoming, came into this game completely undermanned, but even more extreme because Wyoming just didn't know who their starters would be or feel like they really had talent to be starters. But Florida A&M had 24 players 
that they were they found were ineligible for this game like two days before this game happened they pulled they, their head coach pulled the players and said hey the players that are eligible do you want to play this do you want to forfeit i'm leaving it completely up to you guys you will be completely undermanned in this game the florida a&m rattlers like the true football guys they are voted to play they went down to chapel hill to tar hill stadium and they covered the spread and they kept it close for most of the game at halftime it was 28 to 14 in the third quarter florida florida a&m outscored north carolina 10 to 7 so going into the fourth quarter this game was 35 to 35 to 24 but at that point that's when north carolina pulled out all the stops 21-0 fourth quarter they pulled away to win 56 to 24 still didn't cover the spread which was 42 at the time of kickoff drake may was absolutely incredible though for north for north carolina 29 completions 37 attempts 294 yards and five yes five touchdowns for a qbr of 92.9 passing game looked great looked very efficient for north carolina the rushing attack looked pretty balanced as well marion hampton 14 carries 101 yards and two touchdowns with other people contributing as well summing up for a total of 314 yards on the ground for three touchdowns for north carolina so their offense looked great looked very exciting mac brown has that program ready and rolling on offense granted it's against a florida am team who's not great defensively even if they had all their starters that were ineligible but still firing in all cylinders for north carolina on offense but for a team like florida am who is so undermanned right now and had so many ineligible players for florida for north carolina's defense to look that bad especially against the pass along 279 yards through the air they looked great against the run which again i think is similar to like the florida state versus duquesne thing which is a battle of the trenches their defensive line was stuffing any run they only held florida and m to 56 yards rushing but those corners definitely look suspect uh to say the least for north carolina so their secondary's got some work to do their offense looked great i think their their interior defense looked great as well but i think that there's a little questions there in that secondary and it's just a little telling if uh you had a team favored by 40 or you were favored by 42 against a team and it took you to the fourth quarter to put that one away. So not saying alarm bells should be going off for Tar Heels fans, but I'm saying it's something to consider something to keep in the back of your mind because you know, it's just something to keep note of moving to the next game, which no one really talks about, but I'm going to keep, I'm going to make note of here, which actually, before I even get into North Texas versus UTEP, I'm going to take a little aside here and talk about college game day. So the, the program everyone knows and loves, or at least they used to know and love college game day goes around to the quote-unquote best game of the nation on Saturdays, and they host a ESPN host their tailgate there, presented by Home Depot. All the fans packed in the back of Kirk Herb Street, uh, Desmond Howard, Lee Corso. Great atmosphere. They came to Wisconsin three times when I was a student. I remember staying up super late for when they were playing Ohio State. We went there at, oh, man, I can't even remember. I think we got there like 1 a.m., so we camped out an entire night, and everyone was like, we were not even near the front of the line. There's so many people there. Fun atmosphere for sure. Just such a great time. Um, but it's a program that's starting to go downhill because you have big noon kickoff is starting to become the premier pregame. And it's not Big Ten bias. It's just Fox. The channel Fox is putting on just a great tailgate heading into the games, which is big big noon kickoff for Fox. And then Barstool has their kickoff, obviously, where they go to the best quote-unquote matchup of the day that uh, ESPN's not at. So there's just more options nowadays. There's more programming options for you to get your game day ready, get ready for the games ahead of you for your Saturday slate to where ESPN game day isn't the premier destination anymore. But when you talk about that, Lee Corso, and I'll try to be sensitive here, but I'm just going to say what's on everyone's mind. The man can't speak fluently anymore. He trips up in his sentences all the time. He hardly sounds coherent. And this is no hate to him. This is not trying to be savage in any way, but when do you call it quits? Like, is, is I think it's just one of those things that he's so grandfathered in that they have so much respect for him at ESPN College Game Day, which they should, that they're not going to pull the plug. It's going to be whenever he says that he's done, he'll be done. 
but I don't know. It's just it's just hard to watch them and hard to listen to them and constantly like when they were making their picks and it was the same thing last year. They'd be making their game day picks and they'd have to like skip three picks or just quickly rip them off because like we're running out of time because Lee Corso just keeps dragging on. The mascot reveal is fun. It's it's gimmicky, whatever. But I still had fun with it when he pulls out the mascot for the for the pre- premier game of the week. But yeah, still Lee Corso not looking great. And then another thing, which is why it reminded me of this with North Texas versus UTEP. I don't know. I feel like there's just a certain amount of, for me, I like, I'm not going to mince words. I am in grad school right now at Penn state. I have a full-time job. I have a movie podcast that I'm starting up. I have a movie TikTok account. So I'm just saying all these things. I have like a fam, I have a house in a spot, a girlfriend, all these things take time up. And frankly, following college football is just not my job. It doesn't pay me really anything pays me just like a couple dollars here and there every week. Whereas for these guys, it's their full-time job. And when they got to North Texas versus UTEP, they all just started laughing when they're picking the game because the game was about a money line pick. Towards the time kickoff hit, North Texas was favored by 1.5. But they were going through all their games for the week zero slate, which wasn't that many. There's only 11 games and not much yet to study for there. And they all started laughing when they got to North Texas versus UTEP. And they were like, um, UTEP, because they're home. Uh, yeah, I'll go to UTEP. And then the other one's like, yeah, I'll go with the mean green. So they were just like kind of making jokes. And like clearly what the point was was they had no clue about either two of these teams. They did no research. They have no idea what to expect from this game. They're just going to pick the home team or pick a team that has a funner name, which is fine for when you're filling out your March Madness brackets and you're picking a two, like you want to pick a random three versus 14 seed upset. But if you're paid like very handsomely by ESPN to be talking college sports, it just seems, it just felt a little weird when I was watching that on college game day on Saturday morning where they were just kind of openly laughing about a game that was happening in terms of that none of them knew what the heck was going on and none of them even covered it or studied it. But anyways... I followed that game because I was from or lived for three years in McKinney, Texas, which is very, very close to Denton, Texas, which is the home of the North Texas Mean Green. So I'm very familiar with the North Texas Mean Green. And they have a great little football program going over there. They're one of my favorites to play when you're in NCAA 2K13. But North Texas, I thought was going to be a strong team. That's why I'm going to pick them. They're my one team I'd have picked right. I had the money line going. But I didn't expect them to be this strong. After a first quarter where UNT and UTEP were 0-0 the entire time, Going into halftime, it's 14-13. Real competitive game, but UNT with a 17-0 shutout in the second half looked very strong. I mean, their team was very well-rounded. Their passing attack was efficient. Um, the the defenses of both teams looked great in this game, but ultimately North Texas was a 1.5-point favorite that ended up winning by 18. So I figured I would give a, give a little mention, give a little praise to the North Texas Mean Green because clearly on ESPN College Game Day, they, uh, they don't want to give you any credit. So I'll give you credit, Mean Green. I'll be following you this year. Let's go, Texas schools. Vanderbilt versus Hawaii was the nightcap, the classic Hawaii battle uh, to, to end your night of college football, and it was starting right off in week zero. I obviously thought Hawaii was going to perform better in this game. Uh, I actually didn't think they looked too bad, especially in the first half, but second half things blew up. That third quarter was the be-all, end-all of this game. Going into halftime, Vanderbilt was up 21-10, to 10, which is a, it's a convincing lead, but it's about what the, the books expected. The Vanderbilt was favored by about 11 but a 35-0 third quarter, Vanderbilt's defense was absolutely opportune, turning the ball over, ball hawking, making massive plays at really just unsuspecting time. This was a game that it just became so over in the third quarter that I was uh, on TikTok Live, actually, at the time, just talking to people. And I had this game, my opposite monitor, and I'd be like, you know, talking to TikTok Live, I'd be like, okay, Hawaii is, Vanderbilt just scored, now Hawaii is the ball. And then I just kind of go back to TikTok Live and look over a minute ago, I'm like, Vanderbilt has the ball again. It's just like they were just forcing so many turnovers. But the star of this game for sure was Mike Wright. Like, I don't know. I, I was 
I'm not getting crazy. He's my week zero Heisman favorite. Okay, if you want to get crazy. Mike Wright's my week zero Heisman favorite. 13 for 21, throwing the ball for 146 yards and two touchdowns. Okay, fine. But when you throw in 13 carries for 163 yards and two touchdowns, that means total yards for Mike Wright was over 300 yards, four touchdowns. He absolutely carried this offense. Their defense, again, like I said, was very opportunistic. They had 404 yards rushing the ball, and they played bully ball with Hawaii. And I think the big thing here is that Vanderbilt is at SEC school at the end of the day. Yes, they're the worst team in the SEC year in and year out, but they are an SEC school attracting SEC talent, which means their lines, their trenches are just going to be able to bully teams like Hawaii or teams not in the Power Five which they were able to do in this game. Running the ball was too easy for them, and they stifled Hawaii to only 108 yards rushing the ball. Hawaii was able to throw the ball with a little more success at 250 yards throwing the ball, but ultimately, you know, this game was just kind of – it was just a mismatch from the entire time, which I didn't see coming. Vanderbilt was very impressive. I talked about on TikTok some narratives from week one that I'm buying and not buying, and I kind of – you can kind of get the gist of this from when I was talking about Nebraska and Northwestern, but I'm not buying that Northwestern is going to be competitive in the Big Ten West because everyone was saying, like, or well, people like me were saying Nebraska season's over, throw it away. And people were like, hey, Northwestern won that game. They played well, which don't get me wrong. Northwestern did win that game. Even though Nebraska handed it to them a lot of ways. Northwestern still had to go out there and win the game, which they did. They ran the clock out. They got the win. And they had a lot of players like Helinski and Hall that looked very great. But I'm still not buying that they're going to be a very competitive team in the Big Ten West because if one of those turnovers goes the way it should have with Nebraska, where two interceptions off the hands, one fumble that was blown – onside kick that was a bad call if any of those go nebraska's way nebraska's winner that game that game was still a three-point game it was neck and neck so i'm just still not buying that northwestern is going to be any better than we expected them to be that's why i said i still expect them to be the second to worst team in the big 10 west for me another storyline i'm not buying is also illinois um illinois again looked very well rounded offensively the defense did what they had to do but Wyoming was so undermanned and i just really didn't take that into account because i just didn't pay enough attention to the mountain west which hand up that's my fault but I didn't realize just how screwed Wyoming was going to be with how unma- uneven that matchup was going to be. So credit to Illinois, but I'm not I'm not buying that Illinois is going to be competitive in the Big Ten West either. I still think Illinois will finish at the bottom of the Big Ten West table, uh, right below Northwestern. But what I am buying is that Vanderbilt might be better than we expected. I think they might be able to pick up an SEC win or two this season. I think they might be able to turn some heads. Mike Wright is a very versatile quarterback. It's going to be hard for them to – for defenses to prepare for. Mike Wright – Vanderbilt has shown that their their line looks competent and looks like they'll be able to at least hang with some SEC teams. No, they're not going to go out, go out and upset Alabama or Georgia, but they might be able to keep it close against teams like a Mississippi State. You know, maybe roll the dice with a South Carolina down the stretch. Um, but in their out-of-conference games, they look to be competitive, and I think they might be able to win a, an SEC game or two, which is a lot better than I expected them going into this year. So congratulations to Mike Wright and the Vanderbilt Commodores. Absolutely dominant win to start off your season on week zero. And that wraps up the recap of week zero. And before we jump into my NFL playoff preview, we will talk about Thrive Fantasy, which I want you to listen up to this because it's such a cool app that I love sports betting and that how it's getting so unique. And every company that's coming out with their own sports book isn't just making copy and paste the same thing everyone else did. They're looking for their own competitive edge. And that's what Thrive Fantasy is exactly doing because Thrive Fantasy is a daily sports fantasy sports platform that offers all the same daily fantasy sports contests you know and love plus some awesome contests that you're not going to find anywhere else with thrive fantasy you build your lineup you choose 10 out of 20 available player props to build your lineup and each prop is assigned a fantasy value for both the over and the under based on how likely it is for you to occur so if you played fantasy sports daily fantasy sports even fantasy sports you should know this 
Say your quarterback is Joe Burrow. Normally in fantasy football, Joe Burrow might be projected to get 19 fantasy points that week, and that's what his projection is. Well, instead of picking Joe Burrow for your fantasy quarterback based on a daily fantasy budget, your quarterback will be Joe Burrow over 290 yards, and if that hits, you get a certain amount of points. Or you can take the under and you get a certain amount of points. So basically, which I, I personally enjoy this a lot more than daily fantasy. I never got into the daily fantasy where you just have a budget and you pick a random team for a random Sunday. But I love this guy. I love player props. So your entire player prop is like my my threat fantasy lineup could be my quarterback is Patrick Mahomes over 300 yards. My running back is Josh Jacobs under 100 yards. My wide receiver is J- Justin Jefferson over 10 receptions. Like you're basically just picking a team full of player props. And whoever gets more bets right or more player props right, you'll be ranking higher in your pool when your pool just like you would on a fan duel or a DraftKings. And week one, they have a featured contest where the winner is going to get or $50,000 to win or $250,000 guaranteed payout. To join Thrive Fantasy and receive a 100% deposit up to $100, guys, you got to use my link and you got to use my code BACO. That's B-A-C-O, code BACO for a 100% deposit match up to $100. Again, that's BACO, code BACO, B-A-C-O, to join and enter the NFL Week 1 contest. This is like my two favorite things coming together. I love fantasy football. I love player props and sports betting. Marry them together, you have Thrive Fantasy. Now let's, uh, well, actually, you know what? You know how everyone guesses Ike's Lunch, BDGE? We're going to guess what Tyler's drinking. So last episode, we did a little uh, English tea to keep to keep, the, to keep the gullet moist, you know, while I was doing the podcast because I was getting a sore throat the first two episodes. Today, it's going to be brightened out, but I'm showing this on screen. Zevia, zero-calorie soda, creamy root beer. It's a, instead of aspartame or sugar, it uses Z, uh, stevia as a sweetener. Um, shout out Breaking Bad for stevia, but I'm going to take a sip of that before we get into my NFL playoff preview. Isn't that nice? Let's talk about the NFC first because the NFC's conference I like. It's not alphabetical order, but I like to be a rebel. My playoff picture, obviously, in my last or in one of my recent podcasts, I went through each each division, each team, and predicted the record, predicted game by game. So if you want to hear exactly how they're getting to the records, I say, or where teams are that aren't, I'm not going to talk about here. Go watch that podcast. But in the NFC, what I have at the seven seed, or should we start at the bottom of the top? We'll start at the top. One seed. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 14-3, and winner of the NFC South. I have them as my one-seed home field advantage in the NFC playoffs. Two-seed, I have the Green Bay Packers, 13-4. and I think Aaron Rodgers is going to find chemistry one way or another with the Monroe St. Brown, Watson, some of the other players and pieces coming in. I think they have maybe the best duo of running backs in the entire NFL. Yes, I know Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt are a thing, but Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon are just a different beast. So Green Bay, 13-4, and two-seed. Dallas Cowboys. Yes, the Cowboys. And mainly this is due to their schedule, I think, being pretty favorable. They have a pretty brutal beginning of the year, but after that, I think it gets pretty light. Uh, the Cowboys have gone 13-4 and four and getting that three seed. Los Angeles Rams, the reigning defending Super Bowl champions, are 12-5, and five, getting that four seed for me. I still have them winning the NFC West this year, even though it's a pretty competitive division, except for the Seahawks. The five seed are the New Orleans Saints, and you'll, I'll talk about this later, but, you know, Michael Thomas, Jameis Winston, they're both returning. I'm expecting big things from them. I had the Saints going 12-5 and five and grabbing that five seed, being the runner-up to the Buccaneers in the NFC South. And number six seed, I have the Minnesota Vikings going 12-5, and runner-up in the NFC North. Uh, week one, we'll learn a lot about them when they play the Packers. We'll learn a lot about both teams, to be honest. It's going to be such a fun week, matchup, maybe my favorite one of week one. Uh, maybe Cowboys-Bucks, but anyways, still a great, great matchup early on. I still have the Vikings just being a much-improved team with this new Sean McVay-esque system being implemented in there. Kirk Cousins, I think, is going to have a monster year. And I think Justin Jefferson is going to continue showing that he's one of the best receivers in the NFL. 
Seven seed, they finally put some pieces around Debo Samuel. The San Francisco 49ers, I think, will be in the playoffs once again at 11 and 6. Uh, I, I, Trey Lance will be interesting to see how he does. They still got Jimmy Garoppolo there as well for the moment. Maybe they'll end up trading him, but for now, Jimmy Garoppolo is still going to be there. Uh, Trey Lance, all, obviously, a lot of promise. People have, have very high expectations for him, especially for fantasy this year. But ultimately, that, that Shanahan offense with Elijah Mitchell, with all those running backs, really, Trey Sermon. Debo Samuel playing every position under the sun. You got Brandon Ayuk who's clicking immensely with Trey Lance right now. George Kittle is still George Kittle. Their defense is still going to be a strong, devout team. Salah has been gone for two years now, but they're still going to be a strong unit. I have San Francisco going 11 and 16 in that seven seed. And the two teams I have right on the outside, the eight seed at nine and eight, who's not making the playoffs, obviously, is the Philadelphia Eagles. And then under them, I have the Arizona Cardinals at seven and 10. I think the Cardinals are going to struggle too much against a tough schedule without having DeAndre Hopkins for. The, first, the better half of the first half of the year. Uh, I don't think Clingsbury is really that great of a coach. I think a big season is going to be in store for Kyler Murray and James Conner, but I don't think it's going to be enough for the Cardinals. And every other team, I just really don't see having a shot. I'd say Cardinals and Eagles are maybe the only other two I could see breaking the playoffs from the NFC. So that means round one, the Buccaneers will be getting a bye, but I have the Green Bay Packers facing the San Francisco 49ers in Lambeau Field, and wow, doesn't it feel like you've watched that game 17 times already? Because it feels like I've watched that game 17 times already, and it sounds like Robbie Gold's going to kick a field goal again to win that one. But the narrative's changed. I have Green Bay winning this one because I think this year people are doubting Green Bay a little more, and Devontae Adams is gone. But I think that defense is going to still be much improved. They're going to be one of the one of the best defensive units in the NFC, definitely the best defensive unit in the NFC North. But I have Green Bay winning that one in Week 1 or round one of the playoffs, wildcard round. Then we have Minnesota Vikings going down to Dallas, going to, down to AT&T Stadium, seeing their old friend Mike McCarthy. And I have the Vikings winning on the road against the Cowboys and Jerry World. And the Vikings will be moving on along with the Packers. Cowboys upset, eliminated once again. McCarthy more than likely fired. Then in the four versus five seed game, the Rams versus the Saints. And wow, what a, what a fun rivalry that turned into a couple years ago since that blown ref call. And ultimately, I just think uh, Saints are going to have a very good year. I expect Dennis Allen to have a great season. I expect James Winston to come back, Michael Thomas. All in all, I think Saints will have a great season, but I just think the Los Angeles Rams are just too much for the Saints. Rams advance. So in round two of the playoffs, we have the Bucks playing the Vikings, the Packers playing the Rams. And the Vikings going down to Tampa Bay. I have the Vikings losing that game to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I just think Tom Brady's on a mission this year. It's his final season. There's a lot of drama in the preseason, which is just great for Tom Brady. People are like, where has he been? Has he been on the mass Singer? Tampa Bay has very, very hard games to start the year. I think they're going to start the season 0-2, which will build the drama even more. Like, I'm just picturing a Hollywood-esque narrative for the Buccaneers this season. But in the divisional round of the playoffs, I have Tampa Bay beating Minnesota. And I have the Los Angeles Rams in Green Bay beating the Packers for Tampa Bay and the Los Angeles Rams to head to the NFC Championship. And in that game, which is a, this is a pick I changed. I had this different just a few hours ago, but I've changed this. I've meditated on it. And I have Tampa Bay beating the Rams in the NFC Championship for Tom Brady and the Buccaneers to go back to the Super Bowl. I just think that defense of Tampa Bay is gritty. The Rams defense has the stars, has the depth, has Really, any positive you want to say, the Rams have it, but the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is gritty. Antoine Winfield is such a fun talent to watch. They have just a unit that I think can really stifle Matthew Stafford's passing attack this season. And offensively, obviously, I have weapons out the wazoo for wide receivers, especially with Godwin be healthy by then, hopefully. Well, he definitely will be. I'm saying I just hope he doesn't re-injure himself. You got Mike Evans. You got Julio Jones now. They got a great running backfield. You got playoff Lenny. You got Rashad White. I think the Buccaneers are going to beat the Rams in the NFC Championship, and Tom Brady, like the prophet he is, will be going to the Super Bowl. 
So that's how I see the NFC playing out. Tampa Bay Buccaneers are the winners of the NFC this season. But who will Tom Brady be facing in that Super Bowl for his final ring to collect on his infinity gauntlet of NFL stardom? Well, let's go to the AFC to figure that out. My one seed in the AFC is the Baltimore Ravens. This is a take that people will hear right off the bat and think is blasphemy. If people forget the Ravens were one seed just two years ago, and this is one you really just have to dig into the schedule before you just have a quick reaction and look at something. The reason Ravens, the reason I have the Ravens in the one seed and the reason I have the Bengals not in the playoffs, which is just two blasphemous takes from someone on the outside looking in, it just all has to do with you have to look at the schedule and you have to look at the changes from last season. And I think that the Bengals overperformed expectations majorly last year, which is great for them, but I just don't think, I just think they're going to regress more towards the mean this season. Whereas the Ravens had a down year last year. Lamar Jackson, in a rare circumstance, got injured, which he's usually never injury prone, but at least injury prone quarterbacks in the NFL don't let anyone tell you different. They had really no strong wide receivers, which they still have issues there at the wide receiver position, but they had a great draft, and Kyle Hamilton would be a great player. And all in all, I just really trust their draft, and I really think Lamar Jackson is going to be MVP form this season. Uh, J.K. Dobbins should have a great year as well. Mark Andrews is really becoming the premier tight end in the NFL, along with Travis Kelsey. So my one seed in the AFC is the Baltimore Ravens at 14-3. and three. At the two seed, and the tiebreaker being that the Ravens will beat them in the regular season, at the Buffalo Bills at 14-3, and three, getting that second seed, winning the AFC East. Shouldn't be too much of an issue to win that division this season. Los Angeles Chargers at 13 and 4 is who I have in my three seed. Uh, AFC West, and I don't think really any divisions competing with it in terms of what's the most exciting division in Washington football. You have the Chargers, Raiders, Broncos, and Chiefs that are all very much playoff caliber teams. And I think the Chargers will be the one to come out of that dog pile on top at 13 and 4. And then in my four seed, with the same exact record as the team that I have them losing or getting second place in the division, I have 10 and 7 Indianapolis Colts winning the AFC South. And I also have the Titans at 10 and 7 when uh getting second place in the AFC South with their wildcard team. But I think the Colts, obviously, we know what their formula is going to be. Strong offensive play led by Quentin Nelson. Run Jonathan Taylor until his feet can't run no more. And then try to limit Matt Ryan's need to take over the game. We saw what happened when Colts would get down and they would have to put faith in Carson Wentz. A lot of people would say Matt Ryan's an upgrade. I would agree with a lot of those people. However, he is a very much an aging quarterback. They have decent weapons on wide, at the wide receiver position, but not amazing weapons. So you want Jonathan Taylor. You want to control the game early. You want to control the time possession and get not get down by double digits early because Jonathan Taylor, you want him to run your show. The five seed at 12-5 and five are the Kansas City Chiefs, the second representative in the AFC West. Um a lot of you are down on them, just like the Packers this season. They think Tyree Kill gone and just Tyron Matthew gone. And it's just the two ties are out on offense and defense, and you should blow up the whole organization. But I really don't see it. I think Juju Smith-Schuster will be an interesting addition there. Um, I think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has a lot of room to grow, and Patrick Mahomes is still Patrick Mahomes, ladies and gentlemen. So I think the Chiefs will be fine. I think they'll still be in the playoffs. Joining them from the AFC West, though, as a six seed, I have the Las Vegas Raiders. I have them going 11-6, and six, so I have three AFC West teams making it. No, Denver is not going to be in that final wild card slot. Obviously, I told you the Titans would be. But I think that's going to be what a lot of people can expect, and I would almost say that's a guarantee this season that three AFC, team, AFC West teams are going to make the playoffs. Which three? That's up to your interpretation. My prediction is it's the Raiders, Chiefs, and Chargers. But I think three teams in the AFC West are almost guaranteed to make the playoffs this season. But the Broncos are the odd man out for me. And Tennessee, as I mentioned, 10-7, and seven, getting that seventh wildcard slot. Teams on the outside looking in, I have Cincinnati Bengals at 10-7, and seven, not making it due to tiebreakers. The Bengals have, I don't know statistically if they have the toughest schedule this season, but when you look at it with your eyeballs, Bengals have a tough schedule this year, and I'm going 10-7. and seven. 
Then, you know, kind of in the conversation as well, New England Patriots and AFC East, I've been going 9-8, and eight, getting above 500. And the Denver Broncos, I've been finishing right there as well at 9-8. and eight. But then when the real, real drop-off happens is the Miami Dolphins, I've been going 6-11. and 11. And really anyone under there at that point, I just don't think will be that competitive. But that means going into the playoffs for the AFC, we have the Ravens getting to rest week one. Uh, the you know the goats of the NFL preseason, but the two versus seven seed is Buffalo versus Tennessee, and that just that game just screams Saturday early game of the playoffs. Doesn't that just scream Saturday? Like it used to be like a Texans versus someone game would be that you know the classic first game of the playoff round where you're like, I'm happy the NFL playoffs are here, but not really wanting to watch this game. Buffalo Tennessee would be that game. That's what I have two two seed versus seven seed. I have Buffalo winning that one. Then I have the Chargers versus the Raiders for the third time this season. They will face off against each other in SoFi Stadium. Third third time matching up overall. The second time in SoFi Stadium this year. I have the Chargers winning that one. And then the Colts versus the Chiefs. The Chiefs going to Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. I have the Chiefs winning that one on the road. So that means the, the Ravens will be resting. Bills moving on. Chargers moving on. Chiefs moving on. In round two, we have the one seed, the Baltimore Ravens, gets the five seed of the Kansas City Chiefs. And the AFC is just providing us some great AFC division around matchups these past couple of years, and this will be no different. Ravens versus Chiefs will be such a fun game to watch. I have the Ravens winning this one. I think being in Baltimore, and I think Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes are about equivalent in terms of weapons they have offensively. But if it's all put on the defense, I like Baltimore a little more. And even though Patrick Mahomes is a little more electric with his arm, Lamar Jackson can fight right back with his legs. That'll be such a fun matchup. Not throwing shade because I think this matchup might even be even any better. The two versus three seed Buffalo Bills versus Los Angeles Chargers in Buffalo. That'll be a real fun game. But you have the Southern California guys going up to maybe a sun or snowy Buffalo. Whether it's snowy or not, I still see Buffalo and Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, that whole offense, that whole devote defense and Bills Mafia as a whole is going to take down the Chargers. Chargers are going to have a great season. They're going to have a lot of hope for the future but they can't expect all the pieces to come together right away, which I don't really think they are as a fan base or a program, but they're going to have a great year. Herbert could fight for MVP this season, but I have the Bills and the Ravens going on to the AFC Championship. In the AFC Championship, the Buffalo Bills will be going to Baltimore and hopefully a game that shows some so, shows some snow. That just sounds like a great hard-nosed, cold-weather football match with Baltimore Ravens versus the Buffalo Bills. But I have Buffalo being able to outgrit the Ravens here, and the Buffalo Bills are going on to the Super Bowl to face the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for me. And then I actually have the Buffalo Bills going on to the Super Bowl and beating Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Because I just think, you know, I I have another movie account on TikTok, Backseat Screen Time, and I'm starting a movie podcast called Real Talk. Follow Real Talk Podcast on all social platforms. It's going to be the biggest movie podcast of all time. So that means I like Hollywood endings. And I just think the Buccaneers are the Hollywood tale this season. They have Tom Brady and the where has he been for camp? What's going on? Why is he not showing up to practice? He's getting mad at the media. Then they're going to go in and face the Cowboys and the Saints week one and week two and start 0-2. Man, trouble in paradise. Tom Brady should have retired. What's going on? Then boom, 0-2. They rip off a 14-1 finish this season and 14-3 and get the one seed Shut up about your drama. The Bucks are back. They make it all the way to the NFC Championship. They get revenge over the Rams and go to the Super Bowl. The narrative's high. Everyone's like, wow, why do we even doubt Tom Brady in September? And then boom, Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs drop a load on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and win the Super Bowl and break just one of the most heartbreaking droughts in terms of Super Bowl that we've seen. Everyone knows the Super Bowl back-to-back-to-back where the Bills just could not get the job done. 2023 turning a new leaf, Bills are winning the Super Bowl this season. 
Let's talk about what my season award previews are. So we, we're going to go over my prediction for MVP, Offensive Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, Offensive Rookie of the Year, Defensive Rookie of the Year, Comeback Player, and Coach of the Year. My MVP this year is going to be Josh Allen. I think Buffalo, if they're going to get to a Super Bowl, is going to have to be behind Josh Allen. They're not going to just all of a sudden become a rushing, rushing mania of a team. I think an honorable mention there has definitely got to be Justin Herbert, though. I think he's going to have an electric year for the Chargers. I think his stats are going to be off the chain. I think... Where Justin Herbert, you can't deny he is a great, he's a great runner when he needs to be. Josh Allen's just a little more affluent at running. I think Josh Allen's just gonna be able to put up the numbers and have the better team overall. So Josh Allen's who I have in my MVP. You could argue five other players, and I would wouldn't blame you. But who he's he's who my pick is. This is mainly just I just want to document my picks out into the ether so I can come back to these in February and see how far off I was. Offensive player of the year, I don't think it's going to be a wide receiver once again, even though Cooper Cup had a magical season. I have Jonathan Taylor getting the offensive player of the year this season. A lot of people thought he could have got it last year. I think he finally gets it this season. Offensive line there is just too great. Their passing attack is still too average, but their defense is good enough to keep them in games and to where that the Colts are going to be just a competitive team enough this season that Jonathan Taylor will get the exposure enough to be able to run the ball enough, get the numbers, and secure that offensive player of the year. Now, Defensive Player of the Year, if you're a betting man, which I am, but I'm not betting money on this award, the safest bet's always Aaron Donald. He's won in three out of the last five years. One of the, or He is the best player in the NFL, in my opinion. Best defender in the NFL as a result as well. But I'm going with the wild card, which betting odds is not a wild card, but for me, my, Micah Parsons. He was so great in his debut last season out of Penn State and so versatile and dynamic and just a real different breed of an edge rusher than what we're used to seeing. Flavors of a TJ Watt in terms of not being that built, but being just so fast and elusive and agile at the edge rusher defensive end outside linebacker position that they're able to just penetrate the backfield on running running plays or sack the quarterback real fast, as well as being able to cover. I think Micah Parsons can do it all. He's my defensive player of the year. Offensive Rookie of the Year, I think, is the most difficult one to predict. Even the rookie is kind of up there, too. But Offensive Rookie of the Year, I think there's so many candidates. could be. There's a lot of wide receivers. But personally, I just think all the receivers are kind of toss-ups. you got Drake London, Chris Olave, uh, tons of others. But ultimately, I just think they're all kind of the same. All flavors are the same. They're all on teams that I think they're not going to be the feature receiver of. So I'm just going to not say – I'm not saying the receiver is going to get Offensive Rookie of the Year this season. Then Kenny Pickett, who is who I wanted to pick, because I think he will, and I want him to excel in Pittsburgh as a Steelers quarterback. I just don't trust the Steelers to trust him. I want him to get full reign. I want him to get 17 games of playing this season for the Steelers as their starting quarterback. Obviously, he has to be healthy. But I don't think Mr. Biscay should even get a shot. They should not do what Michigan and Iowa are doing in college, where they're kind of flip-flopping or giving each quarterback a chance. Or if they're up big in the third quarter, maybe they'll put in another quarterback, or vice versa. If they're down big, they'll put in another one. If Pickett gets the reign of it, if Pickett gets a start from day one, he's a starter all year, I think Pickett is the lock for offensive rookie of the year. But because it's split there, I'm going to Brees Hall. I think the rookie out of Iowa State, the running back in New York for the New York Jets, is going to win the rookie of the year. Tevin Coleman and crew, there's several other you know names that have been around the league for a while in that backfield as well. But none of them pose a threat, in my opinion. Brees Hall, if he puts up the numbers or it performs like he's expected to, there will be no need for them to be splitting carries so often. So I expect Brees Hall to be my offensive rookie of the year because I'm just not really sold on on the the passing attack for the Jets to be able to be effective enough to even win them games without relying so much on the running game. I think Zach Wilson will want to check the ball down to Brees Hall, but at the same time, Brees Hall will be a great running back as well. I just think that that offense is going to be relying on relying on the run. Brees Hall is clearly the best running back on the team. Give me Brees Hall for offensive rookie of the year. 
Defensive rookie of the year, there's a lot of choices you could go. Kayvon Thibodeau is going to be a popular pick. Aiden Hutchinson is going to be a popular pick. I really like – I was going to go with Kyle Hamilton almost for the Ravens as a safety. I really love him. I loved him at Notre Dame. But I'll go with Trayvon Walker as a linebacker for the Jaguars. I think the Jaguar, Jaguars could surprise some people this season and have a much better season. And a lot of that – while a lot of that has to come from Trevor Lawrence offensively, there's a lot that has to be improved on the defensive side of the ball as well. Trayvon Walker coming off a national championship year with the Georgia Bulldogs. I think he's a great talent for the Jaguars. I think he's going to have an amazing year as a linebacker. Could be a team leader in, in, in sacks. Could be a team leader in tackles for loss, tackles overall. I'm expecting Trayvon Walker as my pick for defense rookie of the year. But again, for those offensive and defensive rookie of the year awards, there's just a couple of names I think you could throw out there that all could be equally fighting for it. My pick's Breeze Hall and Trayvon Walker. Comeback player of the year, give me Jameis Winston. I think Jameis Winston is going to bounce back from that ACL injury like a champ. That was so heartbreaking when he tore that ACL because he was truly having a great year for the Saints. He was looking like a Jameis Winston we hadn't seen in a couple of years. He was limiting the turnovers. He was elusive in the pocket. And that hit was just a brutal hit to his knee towards ACL. Heartbreaking, but I think he's going to come back. He's going to do good and be a comeback player of the year. And a lot of that is going to be due to the coaching. But also as a result of James Winston's play, that's going to help the coach, Dennis Allen, is who I think the Saints head coach, Dennis Allen, is going to be the coach of the year this season. Because I think the Saints are going to be a playoff team when they're, you know, people could say they're rebuilding. They have a rookie, rookie wide receiver in Chris Olave. Michael Thomas hasn't played in almost two years. That wide receiver should be coming back. Their defense is still very strong. But I just don't think a lot of people think with James Winston coming back and with their wide receiver room being completely unproven, because I'm going to say, Michael Thomas, you're unproven. We haven't seen you in two years. And... You don't have Drew Brees anymore, so let's see. You got Jarvis Landry in there as well. I think the Saints could surprise some people and put up some big numbers. You obviously have Alvin Kamara, who goes without mentioning. So I'm saying Dennis Allen is going to be my coach of the year. So there's my picks for the Super Bowl. I have the, the Buffalo Bills winning the Super Bowl this season over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers behind MVP Josh Allen's performance. But before we wrap up here, I want to say one more word from one of our sponsors. Let me pull up the ad read. It is for Chalkboard. And let me tell you about it because I want to talk with you over on Chalkboard. It's my it's my big old group chat with some of my super fans. So Chalkboard is a social platform for sports communities where each community has its own board with different channels allowing me and anyone else in my community to chat and discuss real-time sports news, scores, bets, more. Is Nebraska season over? Vice versa, etc. Chalkboard is the absolute best way to engage with your favorite sports commentators and creators, and their community is 100% free to join. Chalkboard app is super cool, guys. It has a live scoreboard of games going on right this second, so you'll see live scores of baseball, football, whatever you want. And a sportsbook integration, so you can integrate all of your sports betting accounts to track your bets real time and see trends of, you know, how many units are you up this football season? What are your best plays? Are you better at betting over-unders or spreads or, or parlays, what have you? Chalkboard, again, is completely free to download from the App Store, and I hope to see you all in my community. If you're watching this on, on YouTube or any audio listening platform, go to the links in the description down below to join my Chalkboard community. and Or you can you know visit Baxi Coach on TikTok and go to the link in my bio to be able to join. I often chime in on there, especially college football back. Once the NFL's back as well, I'll be chiming in on Chalkboard all the time, asking for people for video ideas, for the Q&As. I grade people's fantasy football teams on there just for fun, their opinions on breaking news. Go join my board, and I hope to talk to you over there. That's Chalkboard and join Backseat Coach's board. But there you have it for this episode in the books, episode four of the podcast. Guys, I was, I'm not going to lie. This is, like, so therapeutic for me. Like, I I love having this podcast. It's just my way of being able to talk. Recently, we moved to Arizona. We haven't been able to make many friends out here just because we've been so busy with the new house, upgrading it, 
Riley works nights, who's my girlfriend. She works nights as a nurse. So some nights she'll be gone where I'll be, you know, sleeping at night where she's at work. And then when she comes home, she's sleeping during the day when I'm doing stuff. So, you know, it can get lonely here. And all my friends live in Minnesota or somewhere farther away. So very far away. So it's very therapeutic for me to come on here, talk with y'all, talk through some sports. Helps helps keep me up to date on college football and NFL. I love putting my takes out there to be able to see what you guys think and as well as, you know, see how I do at the end of the season. But yeah, this has been a blast. I'm loving this podcast so far. If you enjoy it, please leave me a like, leave me a follow on Spotify or Apple Music, however you're listening to it. Comment down below any suggestions you have. But yeah, up on up on our next episode coming out on Thursday. I'll be previewing the weekend slate ahead of college football. And oh, it's a juicy slate starting on Thursday night. And we're going to talk some fantasy football. We're going to do a little fantasy football talk because on Thursday morning, I will be wheels up on a plane to Las Vegas where I'll be in Vegas from Thursday to Monday. Sports betting out the wazoo. Several in-person fantasy football drafts to do in Vegas. It's going to be a great weekend. I'll be documenting it all on TikTok. You will see some wild videos of my friends. But So make sure you go follow us on our social medias. Vegas Preview Podcast coming up on Thursday. Again, Download Thrive Fantasy, run your pool and chalkboard and use my codes. It really helps support me. And they're just great sponsors. I wouldn't have them sponsor this podcast if it was a product I don't use every day and believe in. And I appreciate you all for watching and I will see you in a couple days.